welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's June 29, 2022. I'm Rick Morton, and this is the Defender Podcast. Um, Today, we are pleased to share with you the beginning of an interview with um, Commissioner Jennifer Nichols of the Tennessee Department of Children's Services. Um, Commissioner Nichols is uh, an appointee of Governor Bill Lee to to lead child welfare efforts in the state of Tennessee. Um, She is not a stranger to child welfare prior to her coming to this role in the Department of Children's Services. Jennifer was uh, a prosecutor in in Shelby County uh, around Memphis and also uh, sat on the bench and was an appointee um, of Governor Bill Haslam uh, to to the criminal court in Shelby County uh, and throughout her career. Uh, She's had a special interest in and a special attentiveness to children and the protection of children. And so it was a a really great opportunity for us to be able to sit down and and talk about uh, the state and the church and the ways that we can and need to cooperate together in order to care for vulnerable children in our community. We talked about ways that we as Christians can get involved in foster care, about the need for children uh, in the foster care system, many of them for adoption and how the church um, can become involved. And so I hope today that you'll, um, you'll listen and be informed and inspired by the first half of that interview. The second half will air on the Defender podcast on July 13th. And so hang on, there'll be an episode that'll be in between here the 4th of July week, and then we'll come back and finish this interview uh, with Commissioner uh, Nichols in, uh, it, on, the, on the 13th of, of July. But before we get there, let's talk about Vessels of Hope. Um, this ministry here at Lifeline to Orphan and Vulnerable Children is possible only because the body of Christ um, walks hand in hand with us. We, um, we have people that give their time, uh, their knowledge, and their resources in order to be able to accomplish the work of mobilizing the body of Christ to, to manifest the gospel to vulnerable children. Vessels of Hope um, is our faithful community of monthly donors who help to make uh, this ministry possible. And so uh, check it out in our show notes or find out more on our website, lifelinechild.org, about how to become a part of this impactful group and a a way to to add your resources to those of of many other people uh, in order to to do work that directly impacts vulnerable children and responds to God's call to care for the fatherless. And so um, we're thankful for your partnership with us. And we're also thankful for Commissioner Nichols and for the opportunity to be able to sit down with her. And so without further ado, um, let's go to the interview that I was able to have uh, a few weeks ago with Commissioner Jennifer Nichols of the Tennessee Department of Children's Services. All right, everybody, welcome again back to the Defender Podcast. Um, this is Rick Morton, and I, I have a really um, great privilege today to um, to sit down with a new friend. Um, I want you to meet uh, Jennifer Nichols, who is the Commissioner of the Department of Children's Services in Tennessee. Um, was appointed to that role by uh, do- by Governor. I said Dr. Bill Lee. I was <laughs> sorry, Governor Bill Lee uh, in 2019, and uh, and so we've had the opportunity to to get to know Jennifer a little bit and uh, have 
uh, spent some time with her uh, both in Nashville and now in uh, in Birmingham here and uh, just wanted to um, have her come and share on the podcast from the perspective of someone who is who's approaching child welfare from the state's perspective and you know I think many times we um, there are a lot of misunderstandings about the state and about our relationship to the state and the fact is that we um, we see our friends that are working in state government and, and working in child welfare in state government as um, as partners and as allies in what we do and our goals are not always 100% aligned um, but there is so much commonality and we're pushing so much in the same direction to, to see the same uh, the same outcomes in the lives of children and the lives of families. And, and so we just want to take a little bit of time just to kind of talk and, and for you to be able to not only get to know Jennifer a little bit, but to understand a little bit about what is going on in the state of Tennessee, because we know we have a bunch of people in Tennessee that are, that are listening to the Defender podcast on a regular basis. And, and also for you to kind of extrapolate this conversation to say, if you're not in Tennessee, what are ways that that I and and my church can get involved in, um, you know, in the foster care system and in caring for um, children that are, um, you know, that are in the midst of um, the uh, some difficulty in in many cases. So, first of all, Jennifer, thank you for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. There's not a lot more to say. We should say the end because <laughs> you put it all so well. Well, thank you. Um, but but I know that's not true. So other thing I want to get uh, like right off the top today is is though you are in Tennessee and uh, and I'm I grew up in Memphis, uh, although I started out in Alabama. Uh, but but we share uh, one commonality. Roll Tide. That's right. So um, you're from actually from here, right I here in Birmingham. I, I grew up in Birmingham in Blood Park, now known as Hoover, right on top of Chase Mountain. Went to all the way through school here and then college in Tuscaloosa, law school at Cumberland. So I'm about as Birmingham as you could get. No doubt. So so welcome back home. Thank We're you. glad you're here. Um, so why don't you maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and just whatever you would want folks to know about about you and uh, and, and and your life and family or whatever else, whatever you want to tell us. Well, you've heard a little bit. I grew up here. Um, I sort of came to the role in a public child welfare, not in a traditional way. And um, after law school, I ended up in Memphis as a prosecutor in the DA's office there. Started in 1991 and worked there for many, many, many years at several different times during um, my days as a prosecutor. I was uh, heavily involved in child abuse and child neglect and child homicide cases, um, child sexual abuse cases. And I think through that work, I had a lot of uh, dealings or, you know, contact with uh, children's services, and so was pretty familiar with the role of child welfare with children that have been uh, mistreated. And I, I, I firmly believe that it was that work under those circumstances that led me to, to where I am today. Um, had a heart for children there. I still do. I think in that role, I had the very distinct honor 
of sitting with and getting to know many, many, many children who survived, you know, the most heinous treatment that, that one can imagine a child has, has endured. Um, and also fought through, battled through uh, cases where the children didn't survive. Mm-hmm. And in that case, would uh, sit with a non-offending parent or grandparent um, and going through that with them. And, I, you know, child safety, um, child protection just became such a hugely important part of my life. In that role, though, you're reacting. You're reacting to something that's already happened mm-hmm. um, and looking back and wondering what could we as a society have done differently. And in my current role, I have the um, opportunity sometimes to hopefully catch things before they happen mm-hmm. and to try and serve children and families in a different way. So it's it's interesting to me just to to think about the career path of, of kind of beginning in that place where where you really did see things from from kind of one end of the spectrum, really the the hardest and the and the toughest of the the cases would be the things that would routinely, you know, kind of come in, in front of you. And I can imagine that was a that was a very difficult thing to do to to kind of day in and day out step into those situations with with that kind of hurt that you know that you would see, um, how do you feel like that prepared you for for what you're doing now? Well, that's a great question, and it's there are plenty of people in those jobs who um, feel like I can't do that kind of work. I can do any case, but I can't do those cases. Where for me, um. I leaned in towards those cases. Mm-hmm. I looked for those cases. I was happy when I was over the child abuse, child homicide, or chief prosecutor of child abuse, child homicide. Not because um, I enjoyed them, of course, but because I've never encountered more rewarding work than getting to sit, you know, shoulder to shoulder with a young child and forge that relationship. Uh, that allowed that child to open up to me and me to prepare them for uh, testifying on the stand. Mm-hmm. And I did it many, many times. I put young children on the stand and I put teenagers on the stand and everything in between. And I think hearing from those kids that actually survived uh, sex abuse, physical abuse, neglect of all sorts prepared me I don't want to, I just see the end. I, mm-hmm. I see that if we don't do something here at the beginning um, for the child, for the families, then this is what can happen. It's mm-hmm. almost like I started backwards. You know, I started at the end game. This The worst case scenario is where I started. Mm-hmm. And so when given an opportunity, um, well, after I was a prosecutor, Governor Haslam, appointed to to the bench in January of 2018. And so I went from prosecuting cases to hearing them as a judge, and you moved from the role of advocate to the role of, you know, being impartial. And um, that also, I think, has prepared me for the role I'm in now because 
you know, there's two sides to things and you and you gotta hear both sides. Mm-hmm. You gotta actually and I, I really think the brief time on the bench the year before I was appointed as commissioner also helped. Mm-hmm. Both of them helped. You know, I think one of the things that I and I've probably said this way too many times in churches talking to people about um, just our responsibility, what our responsibility as Christians um, is to 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 work with um, and and to to really look for the um, ways to stand in the gap for children in hard places and and the that you know in the Psalms God introduces Himself and He says I'm the defender of the of the defenseless and the father to the fatherless and that's almost like His business card He's saying like this is my character this is who I am but. But one of those things that really kind of comes out in the scriptures is this idea that um, children are also voiceless. You know, that whole thing of children and widows and sojourners, like the reason I think that that's, that's a group that you always sort of see represented together in the scriptures is because the common theme in, in biblical times of those three groups is they didn't have any standing. They, they weren't, you know, they didn't have a, they didn't have a legal... Um, really a legal identity and so they they couldn't advocate for themselves because in the eyes of the law they didn't even really exist and so it it's it's just it's really interesting to me to hear you tell the story of the journey that you've taken and kind of all the the twists and turns to get to the place where you are because because what you were doing in those prosecutorial roles was advocating you were given a voice and um, and and what you then were able to do in you know on the bench is to give a voice and to you know to give a voice for justice in the midst of you know what are often cons- you know confusing circumstances. And I think one of the things w- that I that I've said to churches a lot to get back to that is that one thing we know for sure I can tell any church in America um, I can predict this is not going to happen in your church this Sunday. And, and what's not going to happen is that children who are um, come are in hard places and in circumstances where where they're being harmed, where they're being neglected, where 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 they're not being supported by by those that they've been entrusted to, those kids are never going to show up at the church and picket and ask for their rights. You're right. You know. You're right. Like they're not coming, and and we, um, and and something that that has, um, you know, even as, as we've kind of shared about life and background and all that. I mean, you know, growing up in a Southern Baptist church, one one of the things that I knew is we would always have a widow ministry in our church. But the thing that the thing was like the reason I knew we had we would always have a widow ministry was not just because the Bible said we should. But because they were there and they had a voice, right. <laughs> like they would, they would tell you about the things that they needed. They would, you know, they would talk to you about the help that they needed, and and that that maybe part of this disparity that we see in the church, um, you know, really getting engaged and, and getting involved in the child welfare system is the sense that nobody's coming and really, you know, kind of demanding the attention of the church or dragging the church into that work because because they are voiceless. They're voiceless, and um, 
anomalous, mm-hmm. at times unseen, mm-hmm. at times um, for so many reasons. And I am a firm believer that it is our, our teachers and our workers in churches, our coaches on, on uh, sports teams, scout leaders. These are the people who have an opportunity, well, neighbors, just neighbors. Um, we all have to own this. Every single one of us better feel responsible for the children that we encounter, the children that we see. Um, because if, if we don't, if every single one of us do not feel that, then bad things can happen, period. And so there is a way, uh, I mean, the culture needs to change, not from being reactive, uh, not to needing a Jennifer Nichols as a, you know, uh, a prosecutor. Culture needs to change to where neglecting a child, mistreating a child is taboo mm-hmm. in the way that some other things are in our society. Mm-hmm. It's taboo to kick, to kick a dog. Right. You, you saw somebody doing that on the sidewalk. People would stop. They would call the police. They would yell at people. They couldn't grab. But it's it's interesting that people don't feel the same ability to do that with children. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to take, I mean, I, I think it's a personal commitment on every single one of us. Uh, we are called, we are called to look after vulnerable children. And it starts with recognizing and even being willing mm-hmm. to admit that there's a child that needs help. Mm-hmm. So that's step number one. Right. I mean, yeah, that's step number one. And then, and then as a society, uh, you mentioned the churches, I agree. Uh, there are other groups as well that have to be willing to support uh, the family as a whole. I mean, the caregivers of these children or the children have been removed from that home, uh, foster families that are supporting them. That's next. Right. I mean, that's the next very, very important thing mm-hmm. uh, because ultimately what you want for every child is that they have a permanent, without excuses, forever home and whether that's being reunified with their uh, birth family whether that is finding a new family um, either one right but you have to the system has to work and it takes all of us mm-hmm. supporting whoever the family's going to be and i think you know i think it's important just that we we remember that in in the role that you've been given in the state that your responsibility is to work with all of the society in order to, you know, to achieve those goals and to and to move to to see those things happen as best you can on a really large scale <laughs> with a lot of, you know, with a lot of great complexity. But when we boil it back down for the church, um, our reason for being involved in that is not just because there's a problem. Like our reason for being involved in it is because God said, go do this. And and so, um, but understanding that today where we are, how how we do child welfare in America, that it takes um, churches working with and partnering with government and us us doing things together in order to, you know, seek those those ends. And that, that there is a place 
for the church to, you know, to be engaged. And we'll, we'll talk in a few minutes about the way that that's kind of coming about in Tennessee and some of the things that have, that have happened, um, you know, under your watch in, you know, in the state, I think before we get there, one, just because we do have a lot of folks that, you know, that listen to the podcast that are engaged in the system. We have a lot of foster families and a lot of people that are supporting foster families that are listening to us. And so I know that that one of the things coming in 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 2019, obviously the pandemic, right? Like we right, can right. we can color everything according to COVID. True. But but another thing that's really um, that has changed things a bit in child welfare is um, the Families First Act and and the fact that we've as a nation have kind of you know changed some things in the scorecard and the way that you know the way that the federal government's looking at child welfare but that's had some some pretty significant ramifications on states to to try to change in order to move in that direction you're you're busy doing what you do and 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 you, you there wasn't a lack of busyness in uh in in your department before but not only doing the work that you're responsible for doing but also having to complied to a different way of doing it. I'm sure it's been really complex. It has, and for your listeners who might not know what it is, the Family First Prevention Service Act was the single largest piece of child welfare legislation that had passed in this country for um, over 25 years. And it moved, states rely on, you know, federal reimbursement for a lot of programs and, and things that happen in child welfare. Well, this piece of legislation moved from before a child would come into custody and then the state come into uh, state custody, and then, the, then this, uh, the federal government would pay for a lot of uh, programs after mm-hmm. they came into custody. Mm-hmm. This legislation uh, turned that on its head, a new way of doing things was they will now reimburse states for keeping a child from coming into custody. And so, um, you know, we are really focusing on on children at risk for coming into custody and able to provide many, many services beforehand. And, you know, if you, if the kids that need to come into custody are still going to come into custody, but the hope of course is that by, um, addressing issues beforehand, it won't get that bad. Mm-hmm. And you heard me say a few minutes ago, we got to go from being reactive to preventative. And, and this appears to be what the thinking was when they passed this. But you're right. Um, it changed everything in the way that, that the network providers, the contract providers that, that we work with and that, um, serve kids, it changes the way they do things, it changes the way the programs that we are able uh, to deliver, it enhanced those, um, and it has certainly been a busy season for all 50 states who are uh, engaged in, in trying to, to do things in a new way. But I, I think it's interesting just to consider the idea that even the whole backdrop of child welfare, that the focus is changing. The focus has changed and it's, and it is really thinking in terms of being proactive as opposed to being reactive. And, and that, um, that for, for those of us in the church, um, it's not bad for us to think that way either. 
that that really we have an opportunity as well to you know to think about the fact that we're not just focused on adoption maybe when there's been a termination of parental rights and you know and a child is in need of permanency on that end although that's part of it and there certainly will be children that end up there but that we we have the ability to be able to step in and to be part of ministering to kids and ministering to families earlier and on the front end to prevent them for, from ever being drawn into the system in the first place or that they make a, a more quick exit out of the system. And, and that all of those things are now really considerations that are, um, even because of the change in the law, those are things that everybody in the system is kind of having to become attentive to. Well, I agree. And, and churches in particular stand in a, in a unique position to do that because you truly um, have the opportunity to wrap around uh, birth family, mm-hmm. birth families, um, supporting, educating, serving. Uh, you also have the opportunity to, a unique opportunity to when that doesn't work, to continue serving a child uh, through foster care, right. doing the same for a foster parent. But let me, if you don't mind, put Put sort of in context what I'm talking about. Sure. But right now, Tennessee, as of today, has 8,472 children in foster care. We have an additional 600 that are juvenile justice involved. But let's, if you focus on the 8,472 of those children, um, last calendar year, 1,221 adoptions occurred at DCS, which is fabulous in Tennessee. Another 386 children found permanency through uh, a permanent guardianship. Mm-hmm. That works better for some families. It's it's an equal way of finding permanency. We maintain somewhere between 70 and 80% reunification. Mm-hmm. So that's what's so point for what you said um, in terms of serving the families and the children as they come to you. Um, you know, before their removal before a TPR is filed, before one of these, you know, twelve hundred adoptions mm-hmm. occur. Um, but you kinda have to be ready on both ends. Right. And I think that's when what's important. And you know, you hate to say so, I mean, a church should be a full service shop, frankly. I mean, because you you have to serve people mm-hmm. as they are, as they come to you and, and in the place that they come to you. Well, you and I were talking off air about the the idea that in child welfare, there's not one right solution. Right. You know, there's there are there are a whole strata of solutions that are available for whatever situation is is in front of us and, and whatever is appropriate in, you know, in an individual case. And so we're it, adoption is needed because because we have children that are in families that are despite our best efforts irrevocably broken and they need they need to find permanence mm-hmm. um, on the other hand that's not the right solution for everyone we there are children that their their families can be stabilized and put back together and 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 they can they can grow and, and learn to function well in a place where that's a, a safe nurturing appropriate place for you know for a child to to grow up um 
So that's a right answer. And and the thing is, the church needs to be involved at every point along the way. Um, I think what we've learned is that many times churches can't be involved in every point along the way. And so they have to, they sort of have to pick and choose and they say, hey, we're going to focus on um, working with families that are at risk or we're going to focus on working on families that are seeking reunification or we're going to we're going to raise up foster families that are going to be that that permanent or that that temporary safe place while something's being worked out for the, the permanence of this child or they become that adoptive resource and become that the, the family actually becomes that permanency plan. So I, there are there are so many different ways that that churches can be involved. And I think sometimes we almost end up in a situation where there are so many different options and there are so many different ways of, of moving that people folks are just a little bit, you know, kind of paralyzed in knowing what it is that they really should go toward and how it is that they, you know, they really could best help. If somebody's sitting out there today and they're, they're, they're driving along in their car and they're listening to this podcast and that's their struggle, um, from, from your part in the, in, in the, in the solution, what would you say to them? I think if I, if I had 10 minutes with one of these people that you're talking about, somebody that really has a heart and wonders what they can do individually, I would say, don't be afraid of my numbers. Don't be afraid of the fact that I have 934 children in full guardianship, meaning could be adopted in the state of Tennessee because no one person can adopt one of those. But you can do something. How about one child? How about one? You're a church. You can't figure out how on earth you're going to serve this population. How about one family? Mm-hmm. One family that's fostering a child. How about wrapping around that one family to the extent that they are able to serve that family, that child. They are able to become um, a temporary or long-term or potentially adoptive for family of, it, of that child if it comes to that. But that they are so well supported the job of doing that doesn't become impossible. So I say one child. I, I mean, I say that's where you start. It's no different than probably that little tale that all of us heard growing up about picking up starfish. Right. You know, I think it was starfish on the beach, yeah. you know, and throwing them back and more washing forward and somebody saying stop and, mm. you know, don't stop. Right. You, know, you, you, you handle it one at a time. And I think that's what I would tell somebody. You know, in, in Tennessee, these children that are in full guardianship and, and ready for adoption, um, you know, we have Tennessee Kids Belong, a, a nonprofit partner, has has filmed videos of these children. You can you can look at them. You, you can fall in love with them. You can get a, a feel for who they are and what they like to do. And the question is frequently asked, if you had a family, what would you like to do with your family? And they say things like, I'd like to you know, eat in the backyard at, at a table, and I'd like to go to a movie. And I'd like, I mean, it's the, it, they're things that break your heart. Never do they say, I want you to buy me diamond earrings, and I want you to take, take me to London. I mean, they just want a normal family. Mm-hmm. And there's so many kids, all ages. Um, you know, be, open your heart. Be open to what child you might be moved towards, and not don't be afraid because the kid's a teenager. Don't be afraid because the kid 
might have a learning difference. Don't be afraid. Frankly, if it's a sibling group, you know, we, <laughs> you hear, have heard me harp on, I have 800 sibling groups mm-hmm. of three or more children in state custody. Those kids, for the most part, would love to stay together. Yeah. But that takes really special families. Um, you can't do it all, but you can do something. So thank you very much, Commissioner Jennifer Nichols, for the opportunity to sit down and talk about child welfare in the state of Tennessee and about the ways that the church can be involved in caring for vulnerable children in communities around Tennessee. Um, and, and we really appreciate your heart in, in the dedication to your work and, and also in your heart and the willingness to, um, to want to engage the church um, in that ministry. We, uh, we here at Lifeline exist to equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphan and vulnerable children. And we're thankful for the opportunity to partner with the state and to partner with churches in order to see that goal accomplished. Um, please take the opportunity to reach out to us at Lifeline. We'd love to hear what you think about this episode and, and love to be in conversation with you. You can find us at our website, lifelinechild.org or on all of the social media outlets. Look for us um, at sign Lifeline Child on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter. Um, so once again, thank you for joining us for the Defender Podcast. Uh, we'll see you right back here next week again for another episode. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.